You have one unheard message. Hi, I was calling Current, the influencer marketing platform, but I think I just got redirected to a bunch of people listening to a podcast. Well, anyways, I was calling Current because I was told they could help get my brand set up on TikTok Shop and even build out an affiliate program of content creators promoting my brand and even have those content creators go on live streams and promote my product there. Wow, I could really use Current. I also heard that the brands they work with are making millions in sales. I guess I'll just go to their website at current.tech. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Press This, the WordPress community podcast on WMR. This is your host, David Vogelpohl. I support the WordPress community through my role at WP Engine. And I love to bring the best of the community to you here every week on Press This. As a reminder, you can follow me on Twitter at WPDavidV. You can subscribe to Press This on Red Circle, iTunes, or Spotify. And of course, you can download the latest episodes at WMR.FM. In this episode, we're going to be talking about one of my favorite topics, and that is avoiding time-killing tech debt on WordPress builds. And joining us for this conversation from Hallam, uh, Hallam, sorry, uh, I'd like to welcome John Martin. John, welcome to Press This. Thanks very much. Good to be here. Uh, you know, I practiced pronouncing Hallam uh, before the show, but of course I messed it up right in the beginning, John. Sorry about that. <laughs> Don't worry. Awesome. So for those listening, uh, what John's going to share is his thoughts on the impact of tech debt to WordPress development teams. Like what does it mean to have tech debt and how does it affect you? Um, how you can think about reducing your tech debt on every project and then why you have a responsibility to share tech debt considerations with your clients if you're working in a freelancer agency capacity. So I love killing tech debt. I love eliminating it. It's one of my favorite topics, um, but we're going to get down to, to John's thoughts on the topic. But before we kick that off, John, I'm going to ask you the same question I ask every guest. Tell me, briefly tell me about your WordPress origin story. When was the first time you used WordPress? So um, that would have been in the early 2010s. I'm not really sure of the correct expression for, uh, for that time period. Um, so, so I actually started uh, myself and um, uh, the CEO of Hallam started uh, uh, an agency in 2008. Uh, and at the time, WordPress was still very much a blogging platform. We were building um, websites that had lots of rich content on it. So um, it's a bit of a dirty word, but we did use Joomla at the time. Um, but then when... I don't think Joomla is a dirty word. I, I, I like all open source CMS personally. Yeah, I mean, likewise, it's a, it's a, it's a great project. I think the, um, the key thing for us is that over time, um, where Joomla was really, really strong, when WordPress brought out custom post type um, support, uh, that was when things really, really changed the WordPress for me, and it elevated it from this, from um, as it was known as a blogging platform, to being a proper, fully fledged CMS that you could do 
all kinds of sites on, whether it was for a you know really small one one person business or, or a freelancer or whatever, all the way up to you know massive enterprise grade um, complex websites. And and I think really, really for me that was a um, killer decision on their part because it's part of the reason why WordPress is so popular now. Um, so yeah, so that was that was um, where when I actually started using it. The, actually, the story before that really is um, myself and uh, and the now CEO of Hallam. We were in a band together. And we had this bright idea of thinking, well, you know what, we want to tour some more and spend a bit more time on the road. And it's really hard to get time off from our current jobs. So we thought, you know what, let's start an agency and become web developers because that will really help getting all that time back. Um, that was a great decision. I'm really, really pleased we did that. But it was also uh, certainly a naive decision because thinking that uh, working for yourself gives you more time was definitely a, a mistake that um, I think we recognized a little bit later on. Um, and before that point, you know, I, I knew a bit about SQL and I've been building computers since, you know, well, actually since um, uh, graphics card only supported four colors. So for anybody else who knows what CGA is, that'll help um, give you an idea how old I am. Um, but yeah, so really it was when CPTs came out um, that that changed everything for us. We started to use WordPress pretty much overnight, actually. That became our chosen CMS and we haven't looked back. We've used it since and, you know, we're no, really close. Out of all the people I've asked this question to, very few have actually clued in on how material custom post types were relative to their WordPress origin story. And, and it's funny, I, I have a similar story. I founded an agency in 2010, um, so a little bit after y'all, but when custom post types had kind of already gone in. And we started building with Joomla and switched to WordPress uh, for similar reasons, but it was those custom post types and custom meta fields that I agree. And I actually presented this way in various format uh, is that it was this kind of moment when WordPress really became a true CMS. A year after that, WooCommerce came into existence, WP Engine came into existence, a lot of other brands in the WordPress space. It was such a transformative time. It's interesting to hear you kind of reference that as the the, the root of your origin story. Now you were telling me though about um, Hallam and um, yeah, the founding moment there, if you will. Uh, but could you uh, briefly tell me a little bit about Hallam uh, and what you do at Hallam? Yeah, sure. So, so actually, that agency we founded wasn't Hallam at the time. We we later merged with Hallam. Okay. Um, okay. Thank and you. The, well, the main reason for that actually is because you know back in uh, back in those those older days, there was a very uh, quite um, discrete difference between you know we we build websites versus we do SEO and all those kind of things, and there wasn't really that many around that were integrating the approach and actually thinking about things like user experience and how does that work with SEO and development and all that kind of stuff. So so that was actually why we ended up later later merging with um, with Hallam. Hallam been around for about twenty years, and uh, our our uh, founder. Um, set up pretty much right back at the beginning of when SEO started to become a thing. Um, so yeah, so we merged the two agencies um, six, seven years ago, maybe a little bit longer. My memory for dates is not great, I must admit. Um, and then, and then really, yeah, that's that's become our approach is this this full integrated approach about you know mixing all these different disciplines all together to help people succeed online. So you know we do PPC, SEO, digital PR, obviously web design and dev, brands, digital digital strategy, you know, all this kind of stuff, all, all of these good disciplines that you really need to have a, um, a good, strong digital presence these days. And what's your role there at the company? So my uh, my job title is technical director. Um, so was, I'll be honest, doesn't really quite cover everything um, that I do. Um, I ran the development team for a long period of time. So, uh, you know, all the all the WordPress work we did was um, 
uh, was under, under my directorship. Um, I'm pleased to say we have far, far better developers in the team than we than uh, Julio and I ever were when we first started out, um, which is part of the reason why we're, we're doing much better these days and, and we, we understand things a bit more. So, so I ran the development team for a long period of time. More recently, I look after the data team as well. So that means they get to play with machine learning and, and Python and MarTech. And, so all this you know, playing, though, I got to imagine all this playing doing cool stuff for clients has got to result in some tech debt along the way. And so I'm curious, like how you think about like, what are the common types of tech debt? And it may be specific to WordPress builds for a minute, but like, how do you think about that as you think about, you know, uh, Hallam and, and how y'all manage your, your tech debt? Like, do you bucket it into types uh, with WordPress builds? Yeah, we, we do. I mean, not, um, not necessarily, um, uh, we do in kind of language. We don't necessarily uh, categorize things or, or go through a, a strict process for categorizing it. But really, they do fall into three different buckets. One of them is when you build bad code on top of existing bad code. And that might be because, you know, maybe you made some mistakes in the past. That might be because you've inherited the website from somebody else, you know, whatever the reason is. Um, so that's the sort of first bucket. Um, the second one is um, building code that isn't necessary and maybe just isn't necessary right now. You know, I'm sure we've all been uh, on the end of feature requests from clients and brands that we work with where they're really keen for a particular thing, but actually it might not be the right thing uh, in terms of getting actual value for the customers. Um, and then the third one, which is the biggest one I see actually, is building features that should actually really be on a different platform. So understanding that kind of architectural piece about, okay, what are the different bits that we're plugging in here? You know, here's a CRM. Here is the website, which fundamentally really is about marketing the business. Um, here's your order fulfillment platform. You know, all those, all those sort of different. Um, so let me ask you areas. a fundamental. Let me ask you a fundamental question here. Like you've you've kind of listed the three types, but it sounds like these are the three types of tech debt you want to get rid of, right? Bad code on bad code, code that's not necessary, features that could be done on another platform. Like, isn't there a fourth bucket? Like features you want that are valuable, and therefore the tech debt is is is, is maybe good in that case. Is is that fair to say that's a fourth bucket? Yeah, hundred percent. I mean, not all technical debt is bad. There are, um, you know, you have to have to accept that pretty much any feature that you're going to build will accrue some type of technical debt, and you've got to make a call about whether that technical debt is good or not. Um, you know, some is good, some is bad, and really it depends on. It's that keyword I said before. It's about value. Are you going to get the value that you need for that thing? Well, more importantly, is the customer, the ultimate customer, not your your client, but you know their customers, are they going to get the value for it? And that's usually a pretty good guiding light as to whether to accept that technical debt or not. Yeah, I want to kind of deep dive into you know how you think about that quote worth it formula for for when it's okay to accept or not. But it's it's good to think about I get a good understanding of how you think of the different buckets of types of tech debt, and particularly those you might want to want to optimize to remove. Um, what I'd like to do next, though, is, is get an understanding of like, was, was there a thing that kind of drove you over the edge to focus in this area? Um, but we're going to take our first break and we'll be right back. Time to plug into a commercial break. Stay tuned for more Press This in just a moment.
Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line. Prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. Bet MGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus and present in Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1 800 Gambler in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies, we keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Well, everyone, welcome back to Press This, the WordPress community podcast on WMR. This is your host, David Vogelpohl. I'm interviewing John Martin about avoiding time-killing tech debt. John, right before the break, you were explaining that the way you think of the three types of tech debt that you might want to eliminate is uh, building bad code on, on bad code, uh, creating code that's not necessary for the success of the site you're working on, and then maybe building out code for features that could be better served on another platform. Um, before we kind of get into like the, the quote worth it formula though, I was wondering, was there like a, a particular, um, I don't know, time in your, your journey or a particular instance of, of tech debt that, uh, that kind of surfaced this for you as a primary focus area for how long? Yeah, absolutely. I and mean, there's one real landmark project that started to get me thinking about this uh, about four or five years back now. I mean, I've seen plenty of other cases too, because, you know, businesses accrue technical debt all the time, not just through WordPress, through all, all kinds of things. Actually, businesses accrue it through their operational processes as well. It doesn't even have to be a, a technical thing where you accrue that debt. But the one, uh, the one story that really stands out in my mind more than any is a client that we work with, a relatively small company. We did a lot of uh, paid media work for them um uh, selling uh, essentially selling stuff online it was an e-commerce business uh, and they they had traditional kind of mail order but a lot of their work and they were trying to drive more of the traffic online so they didn't have to go through mail order you know you could all be managed through their website um and they came to us because they'd had a site built for them it's completely bespoke um and that they'd, they'd been around for about 10 years at that point so it was you know getting pretty old starting to creak a little bit um, you know, standards have moved on, technology's moved on, it's time to, to have a bit of a rethink. So the client sat down with us, they started to brief in all the different things they did on their website. And it became really clear very quickly to me that there was all kinds of business logic and, and business operational stuff that had been built into the website. And that was logic that they used for filling orders. Um, and it was quite specific to the way that they work with suppliers. So um, I won't go into the detail, but they had quite... Um, a complex arrangement between the suppliers and how they fulfilled orders and whether it got shipped into their shop before it got sent out, all this kind of stuff. So it was all quite complicated. Now, the um, the, the, the business owner and the previous developer they worked with had eventually built this system that pretty much managed that entire thing for them. It was a really, really good system at the time. 
uh, and genuinely help that business grow massively. Now, what they haven't really thought about is that all websites eventually have a shelf life. You know, they, they will become end of life at some point, just like any software. And in the marketing world, uh, um, that shelf life is usually relatively short compared to, you know, for example, if you invest in a CRM as a business, you'll normally have that kicking around for quite some time, you know, up to about 10 years, if not more. Websites, you know, generally speaking, between sort of two to five years, we find most, uh, at least big brands, tend to rebuild every three years or so. So the problem then was that they built all of this complicated logic into the existing website and they had to rebuild the entire website. And all of a sudden, you have to rebuild all this business logic as well. Now, um, we costed the project up and it basically ended up being about half of the annual turnover of the business just to rebuild what they already had. And that really started to get me to think about this thing is that, well, okay, if they approached the problem in a different way originally, for example, let's think about the different things that we're trying to achieve at a website. You know, this bit is for marketing, this bit is for selling products, this bit is for order fulfillment, this is bits for managing my business process with suppliers, all those kind of things. And thought in a bit more of a modular way about that, then it would have been a much different situation for this client. And actually, it was a, it was a real um, problem for them because they had a website that was essentially where they made all the money from. It was creaking quite a lot because it's quite old. But at the same time, it, it was going to cost so much to rebuild that entire website. It made the project very, very complicated. We managed to find some pretty um, clever, but also not nice workarounds in the end to try and use what they already had and integrate it with the Wicom site. Um, but, you know, ultimately it ended up being a much more painful, much slower and much more expensive than it needed to be if that architecture had been thought about originally. I have so many projects I, I want to forget about that were just like that, John. I can I can picture it now. I'm going like taking me back in time on this. So like <laughs> to me, that sounds like a pretty it's a, it's a very, uh, I, I think you know, salient lesson to think about the, the kind of cost of the business relative to the refactor that you were planning. And, and to me, it, it sounded like the clear answer was you needed to architect it differently. And, and, and that's kind of maybe a, a, a clear um, path, if you will, to like what you should do. But I think like a lot of teams, when they think about tech debt, it's like, they think like, okay, well, it'd be cool to do this thing, but is it worth it? Is it worth me maintaining this thing over time? So I'm just curious, like how you think about that formula yourself or, or with your clients and uh, in, in like, when, when, like, when is it okay to introduce tech debt and, and how much and, and, and just how do you think about that formula uh, as, a to as a whole? Yeah, you touched on a really important point there is that, you know, you think about the nature of developers, developers get into this because they love doing cool stuff. And, and that's, um, you know, it's a big part of our motivation is to learn how to do new things, new technology, you know, new, new JavaScript frameworks, whatever the thing is. And that naturally gives us the, um, the motivation then becomes to build cool stuff. But we don't necessarily think long term about that. You know, we've still got to maintain it. Um, you know, my, my wife would love to get a hot tub at our house, but I know that somebody's got to clean that. And I'll be honest, I don't really be the one that cleans it. It's that type of um, thinking in your mind. So um, it's a really, really, really good question to think about. Is it actually worth it in the first place? And if we break that down a little bit, there's a few different things you could be thinking about. Um, first of all, think long-term. What is the total cost of ownership of building that thing, of testing it and maintaining it, and then weigh that up against the value that we get from it? So for example, there may be a really simple way that you could solve that problem using spreadsheets or you know, using um, a, a, 
slightly different architecture of things where you know maybe somebody internally at the company manages that for a short period of time and it would be cheaper to do that and more effective to do that than it would be to build this really complicated feature that when you actually look at the total cost of ownership it's going to cost more than it would do for somebody to spend a couple of hours a week to do a particular thing and don't get me wrong i'm a big believer in automation technology should be automating as much as possible to avoid that kind of admin but do you, uh, to, do you, sorry to interrupt, but do you use like those manual approaches to like try something out before you code it to make sure that value is going to be there? I mean, I get the idea of like simplifying the specs or like, oh, can we do this manually instead? I'm just curious if you've ever approached it from like a testing perspective to like see if the ultimate return is worth it. Yeah, 100%. So the I'm a big believer in agile methodology and fundamentally one of the big key tenets of Agile is that you build the right thing at the right time and you focus on getting value as quickly as possible. So you want to be building the minimum viable product. Now, that means that you don't necessarily have something that's fully feature rich at that point, um, but it gives you a platform where you can then start to test it. You know, Are you actually getting the thing that you want from that? Are your users responding to it in the way that you expected them to? You know, Anybody who's worked within UX or... Um, uh, and, and web dev will know that quite often we'll get repressed from customers because they think that their customers will want that but actually do they really want it so that's another really good question to ask is you know once you've kind of thought about that long-term view do, do the people going to use the website do we know that they want to use it or do we need to test to see if they want to use it and then once we've done that test we can work out whether we should invest more in it or whether we should back off and actually put our investment elsewhere so it sounds like to kind of recap those thoughts, and I liked your idea of looking at the total cost of ownership long term, you know, I think a lot of times teams think even the people, you know, quote, ordering services from the teams think how many hours or weeks or sprints or points or whatever is this thing going to cost to build, but then, you know, you need to take into account that you know, how much, how many hours or weeks or sprints or points is it going to take to maintain? And then to use that to balance against the value you're getting out of maintaining that activity. I think obviously that's a sound piece of advice. Um, but then you're also thinking like, well, is there something I can do to test this to see if my assumptions are correct? Does that sound accurate? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And the only bit that we didn't touch on is the, the bit that we spoke about a little bit earlier, which is about architecture. Is there a better way that we can structure this to, um, to make it better? And that'll tie into object-oriented programming and stuff that I'll, I'll probably touch on a little bit later. Yeah, the architectural considerations. I also liked, I kind of wrote down how you were like, is there a way we can change the specs? Um, as a, as a, in my uh, stakeholder training or talks, I often say, you know, spec to launch, right? Ask for yeah. what you really need to launch. And, and so asking those, well, why? And do you really need it? And what about this? Um, questions have been, I found to be very critical. So it sounds like that's a key part of how you're thinking about this. Yeah, because every minute that that site is in development is a minute that it's not getting value in front of customers. And that's the easy way of thinking about it. You want to get launched as fast as you possibly can and then test monitor, iterate, learn, you know, see where you go from there, but only because you're doing that based on actual data rather than what you think is right, because quite often they're not the same. Yeah, I love that point. Every minute it's in dev is not is a minute you're not using it to grow. Uh, it also ties back to, it kind of ties back to another mantra I have in, in, in uh, project management and, and stakeholder management, which is the two uh, best words in, in getting a project done are phase two. Right. Um, what can we do <laughs> yeah. next? How can we worry about it? Exactly. Uh, yeah, I, I love that when I'm when I'm dealing with stakeholders or when I am a stakeholder is a powerful, powerful part. 
Okay, cool. Um, let's talk next about how uh, what teams can do to reduce tech debt. Um, but before we do that, we'll take our last break. Time to plug into a commercial break. Stay tuned for more Press This in just a moment. You have one unheard message. Hi, I was calling Current, the influencer marketing platform, but I think I just got redirected to a bunch of people listening to a podcast. Well, anyways, I was calling Current because I was told they could help get my brand set up on TikTok Shop and even build out an affiliate program of content creators promoting my brand and even have those content creators go on live streams and promote my product there. Wow, <laughs> I could really use Current. <laughs> I also heard that the brands they work with are making millions in sales. I guess I'll just go to their website at current.tech. Our bodies come in different shapes and sizes, so doesn't it make sense that our weight loss plans should too? That's the beauty of Noom. They build a personal plan that factors in dietary restrictions, medical issues, and other personal needs so your plan works for you. Noom doesn't restrict or shame when you want to treat yourself. Their flexible program focuses on progress. Instead of perfection, you don't have to give up carbs or anything. And with their daily lessons, you can learn something new about your food choices every day. After just a few days of using the app, I learned how to recognize cues for overeating and how to choose the right foods to feel full. Stay focused on what's important to you with Noom's psychology and biology-based approach. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M dot com. And check out Noom's first ever cookbook, The Noom Kitchen, for a hundred healthy and delicious recipes to promote better living. Available to buy now wherever books are sold. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Press This, the WordPress community podcast on WMR. This is your host, David Vogelpohl. I'm in the middle of talking about uh, avoiding time-killing tech debt with John Martin of Hallam. John, right before the break, we talked a little bit around your um, worth it formula. I really liked your notions around reducing specs and uh, thinking about TCO and, and, um, and, and kind of taking an iterative testing approach. Um, but let, let's dig into now what teams can actually do to reduce their tech debt in WordPress builds. What are some of your favorite techniques for reducing tech debt? So there's all kinds of technical techniques you can use. And, um, you know, some of them you'll be familiar with, some of them you won't. But, but actually, the starting point for me is, um, is a much more kind of soft approach towards it. Talk to your clients about it. Um, you know, you've got to remember that... Um, uh, ultimately, you, your clients and these brands come to us because we're the experts. They need our advice. Um, and it's quite easy to fall into the trap that, um, you know, we, we're there to just do what they want. What We're there to do what they want us to do, when actually we're there to challenge what they want to do and to, to try and improve it. So the first thing you can do is talk to them about it and uh, explain, okay, if we do that, this is going to be the long-term effect of it. You know, it's going to take us an extra day worth of testing every time we do a release. It's gonna um, add a couple of hours onto every time we need to maintain the website and update all the plugins or whatever it is. But by raising that awareness and having those conversations with them, you can get the client to be part of that discussion 
and then eventually they become part of the problem solving with it as well you know we have to educate our clients all the time simply because they don't understand the things that we do if they did they wouldn't be coming to us in the first place so that's your that's your starting point um or key things to remember with that as well is simplify things again people aren't necessarily as technical as we are so use analogies to talk about it i always find that um houses are a great analogy you know everybody lives in a house most people have um, got some experience of doing some kind of house improvements so um it's quite easy to um to use that as an analogy to explain it so that's the kind of the the the, the first point really is to get the client on side with those conversations the next thing is, we already touched on before, which was to you know have that long-term view. What's the total cost of ownership? Um, and, and ask yourself those questions and questioning every feature request. But being a little bit more sort of technical and, and how you would do this on the job, um, um, simple things you can do. Use WordPress standards. You know, there are standards that are there. They do exist for a reason. Now, um, they will help you as a developer. And you know maybe you work on a project, then you put it down for a year or two, and then you come back to it. Um, you've got to refresh your, your, your memory with that and, and trying to get your, back, your head back into where you were when you first built it. Using standards will help that. It'll also help other people. So if you work within the team, it means you've got this common language that everybody can, can operate from, which is really, really useful in terms of efficiency and, and helping with documentation, all these types of things. So that that it's kind of kind of a softer way of, of reducing your technical debt by having standards that anybody can um, work on. Um, it also helps, you know, uh, the time may come where some other WordPress developers are working on that project and it helps them too. just think of it as a way of paying back to the community and making it easier for your, uh, your fellow developers. So that's, um, that's a, you know, a good point around kind of uh, standards and, and making it easy for yourself and others. Um, the, the next one is more about, um, there's a great, um, a great coder within the industry, uh, affectionately known as Uncle Bob, who wrote a wonderful book called The Clean Coder many, many years ago. I would highly recommend that any developer reads that book if they haven't read it. In fact, I've, I made it mandatory reading for our development team, um, uh, for anybody who joined the team, mostly because he's got such a good approach towards, um, uh, he talks about unit testing, all this kind of stuff, but fundamentally a lot of it is around how do you write code in a way that makes it flexible, that you can very quickly iterate and change and you know add extra bits into it. And one of the big points that he talks about is about refactoring often. And this is the main thing to take from it is that, you know, you write a piece of code that doesn't necessarily mean that piece of code is finished. There are things that you can do to optimize it, to make it more portable, to make it more, you know, modular or, or make it test better, whatever that particular thing is that you need to do. So spend time refactoring code. It can be really, really hard to do when you're up against it on a, you know, maybe a tight time frame for a budget. Um, uh, but ultimately, that's the type of thing that will stop you accruing technical debt. And actually, usually that's the way that I see it um, gets forced in where there's a, a project deadline in place. You've got to hit that deadline. Absolutely, you've got to hit it. But um, it's better to flex the scope than to write bad code that you're then going to... Um, yeah, and I guess educate those clients about that too, because like I've never met a developer that didn't want to refactor the code, but 100%. it's always the timeline that hits against it. Um, okay, so here in the last little bit, I'm just curious if you you like use if you think of things like offloading and, and using off-the-shelf plugins as another way to help avoid tech, another ways to avoid tech debt. Is that on your list as well? Yeah, hundred percent. So that's a good way. Um, it's a good way of doing both. Actually, you can avoid technical debt by yeah, get into plugins, it. <laughs> but you can also, and this is you know, WordPress is a wonderful, wonderful community. It's so active. Equally, that can also be its worst enemy. There is a plugin that does everything, and there are also lots of plugins that have been built for a very specific purpose, but they don't necessarily match your own purpose. So uh, you know, I've seen this particularly with um, 
um, some of the uh, developers that like building sites using plugins and kind of the more point and click approach towards things rather than you know coding it um, from scratch point of view. Um, people tend to throw a plugin at things. Uh, we've worked with websites that have had over 100 plugins on them. You know, a bunch of them aren't maintained anymore. There are security issues all over it. You try and do a new release for it. You spend, you know, literally four days testing it when you could have done that in a couple of hours. Um, so, so plugins can be good and can be bad. The right plugin at the right time is a wonderful, wonderful thing, and it's one of the greatest strengths of WordPress. But the wrong plugin at the wrong time can also be severely damaging, and you know, and, and actually can be one of those biggest sources of technical debt. Oh, I've um, had a project like that for sure. Well, John, this has been incredibly insightful. Thank you so much for joining us today. My pleasure. Awesome. If you'd like to learn more about what John is up to, you can visit hallam.co.uk. That's H-A-L-L-A-M.co.uk. Thanks everyone for listening to Press This, the WordPress community podcast on WMR. Again, this has been your host, David Vogelpohl. I support the WordPress community as part of my role at WP Engine, and I love to bring the best of the community to you here every week on Press This. The opinions expressed on this program are those of the guests and hosts and do not necessarily reflect those of WebmasterRadio.fm's management or sponsors. Any rebroadcast or redistribution without authorized consent of WebmasterRadio.fm is prohibited. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line. Prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. Bet MGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus and present in Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1 800 Gambler in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.